0: Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and welcome to Scary Mysteries. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's hard to describe the feeling of terror and pain brought about by a child gone missing. The panic and frantic search is unbearable for any parent to experience, especially if that child is never seen again. Children, as small and easily distracted as they are, can unfortunately get lost anywhere and at any time, even when they are under the watchful eye of an adult. The woods, outside school, on the playground, these are just but some common places a child can go missing from. Even in a place where hundreds of other people may be, such as a shopping mall, it still doesn't keep our children safe and shows they can vanish at any time and any place. Here are five chilling cases of children missing from malls. Number five, Catherine and Sheila Leone. People of all ages tend to flock inside the mall not only to buy things but to also participate in the different festivities that these commercial places often hold. New Year's, Christmas, Halloween, and Easter celebrations are just but some of the many events that shoppers want to take part of. On March 25, 1975, sisters Catherine and Sheila Leone told their mother that they'd like to go to the Wheaton Plaza Shopping Mall, now Westfield Wheaton, To see the beautiful Easter exhibit. Considering that the establishment was only a half mile away from their home in Kensington, Maryland, Mrs. Mary Leone gave them permission. She had, however, instructed them to return home no later than four in the afternoon. And so, the two daughters of John Leone, who was then a well known radio personality at a local radio station, left their home at around 11 in the morning. Sheila, who was then 12 years old and Catherine 10, had planned earlier to grab some pizza from one of the mall's restaurants. As expected, the two had their lunch. Their older brother, who was also at the venue, even saw them eating their pizza together. At around 3 p.m., a friend saw the girls exiting the mall and walking on a route that led straight back to their home. And this would be the final sighting of the sisters who afterwards had disappeared. At 4 p.m., their mother began to wonder why her two children never arrived home, and panic set in when, even at 7 in the evening, the girls were still not in sight. The family immediately called the police, who then conducted a search, and an investigation soon followed. It was determined that during their lunch, a neighbor saw the missing teen speaking with an unidentified man. The person in question was described as being tall in stature and was around 50 to 60 years old wearing a brown suit. He was seen carrying a briefcase as well with a tape recorder inside it. Sharpers also recalled that a throng of children gathered around him to speak into a microphone he was holding. Authorities then immediately considered him a prime suspect in the Leone sisters' case and the press then called him the tape recorder man. A few more people came forward to tell authorities about a certain creepy man who kept on staring at the girls while inside the mall. A composite sketch was made showing a man with long hair, and multiple other leads soon came after, including from a man named Lloyd Lee Welsh Jr., who after a week since the girls had disappeared told the mall security that he saw the tape recorder man abducting the missing children. Welsh was brought to the police, where he gave his statement. He had also undergone a lie detector test, which revealed that he was actually lying. He was then released and was never questioned again until three decades later. Meanwhile, though, because of the lack of further information, this case went cold. And although there were leads coming in from time to time, They weren't substantial enough to confirm the whereabouts of the missing girls. Then came 2013 when a detective decided to take on the case once again. What caught his attention was the mugshot of Welsh, who was previously convicted and imprisoned for an unrelated sexual assault of a ten-year-old in Delaware. Interestingly, the man's picture roughly matched the police sketch created of the person who had been ogling on the sisters at the mall. The new revelation led authorities to believe that Welsh could be the perpetrator. While he was in prison, investigators combed through his properties in Virginia and Maryland, and there they discovered various human remains. Though they have yet to be identified, the inmate consequently pleaded guilty to abducting and killing Catherine and Sheila Leone in 1975. In 2017, he received an additional 48 year prison sentence for these crimes that he, at one point, attempted to blame on other people. Number four, Ann Gottlieb. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and for a case as serious as a missing child's case, a person would do just about anything just as long as they solve the case. And Gottlieb was a Ukrainian Jewish immigrant who came to the United States with her parents in 1980. A brilliant child, the 12-year-old, was fluent in both English and Russian. On June 1, 1983, the girl decided to visit Bashford Manor Mall. This wasn't particularly unusual, considering that the mall was just a stone's throw away from their apartment complex, where she lived in Louisville, Kentucky. Witnesses said, but they saw Gottlieb inside the mall at around five or six in the afternoon. However, things began taking a weird turn when her bike, the same one that she rode to get to the mall, was found abandoned at a nearby store. Her parents were called, and they too wondered where she might have been. A quick search was made, but when they still couldn't find her, they decided to call the police. Then an intensive investigation soon followed and it even came to the point that the FBI was involved in the matter. The case eventually became a high-profile one, and the public then began to speculate that the kid could have been abducted by the Soviet government, hoping that it would force the parents to return to Russia. It was even said that the girl had left voluntarily after having trouble living in the U.S. Both theories, though, were debunked by the FBI and Gottlieb's parents as well. Many years have passed, and the case still hasn't moved an inch, and the lack of leads hasn't helped as well. Eventually, this case went cold, however, the family continued their efforts in finding their missing daughter. They had come to the point that they had to hire several psychics with the hope that they could bring clarity to the mystery. But even so, Anne's whereabouts have remained unknown. Meanwhile, authorities received confessions from various inmates who have actually claimed responsibility for the crime. However, they were all quickly debunked since the information could not be substantiated. A breakthrough, though, came in December of 2008 when the Louisville Metro Police decided to reopen the case. At a press conference, they said that a certain convicted felon named Gregory Oakley Jr. could be the perpetrator. However, this couldn't be proven considering that Oakley who had actually been named a suspect way back in 83 he had already died in 2002 while in a prison hospital. He had been there, incarcerated for raping a 13 year old girl from Louisville. What the authorities held on to was the statement from his former cellmate in the Kentucky State Reformatory in LaGrange, Kentucky. According to that convict, Oakley confessed to abducting Gottlieb and killing her by injecting her with painkillers. Since her body has never been found, and Gottlieb is still listed as a missing person, but her case was nonetheless considered solved. Gottlieb's abduction and alleged death also prompted the U.S. Congress to create the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which has gone on to save hundreds of children throughout the entire U.S., Number 3. Catrice Lee We always want to believe the law enforcers have no other priority but to keep the community safe and offer help in solving problems that would require their expertise. Sad to say, though, this doesn't necessarily work at all times in real life. Catrice Lee had just turned two on November 28, 1981 when her father, mother, and aunt brought her to the shopping complex of the Navy, Army, and Air Force Institutes in Paderborn, West Germany. Their purpose was to buy food and items for a birthday party that they had planned. Originally from Britain, the family came to the place when Lee's father was stationed as a sergeant at a nearby British Army headquarters in West Germany. The mall was packed that day, and since they couldn't find a parking spot, Sergeant Lee decided to wait inside the car while the rest went into the supermarket. After getting what they needed, the trio then began to head back to the vehicle. However, the mother realized she would forgotten something, and so she asked the child's aunt to stay and watch over the girl. When she returned, the adults realized that Catrice had disappeared. The store was exceptionally crowded at that time, so... They thought that the toddler got distracted and wandered off without the aunt noticing. Mall authorities immediately conducted a search throughout the entire complex. When that failed, they called in the Royal Military Police themselves to make a search. However, the British law enforcers quickly ran into a conflict with the German police, who insisted that the NAAFI shopping complex, which was located in a German town, So, therefore, German authorities should head the operation. When dealing with missing persons cases, time is of the essence. However, these jurisdictional issues somehow hampered everyone from making quick action. With them at the helm, the German police surmised that Catrice may have wandered off and fallen into a nearby river. As such, they focused their search on that location, they even insisted at least initially, that this was not an abduction, but merely a disappearance case. Despite everyone's effort, a body, though, was never found. Meanwhile, the British police and Lee's family believed that it was impossible for a little girl like her to make that lengthy of a walk along the river without any witnesses seeing anything. Although they didn't directly criticize the local authorities, They were, however, disheartened that it took more than a month for the Germans to actually question mall staff members about the day that the girl vanished. With no leads to work on, this case too eventually went cold, though it was reopened twice, once in 2000 and the latest in 2018, however both of those didn't amount to anything. The Lee family firmly believes that their daughter was kidnapped from that store taken as a surrogate child and might still be alive somewhere in Europe these days. It's easy to blame the misunderstanding that happened between the German and British police, which, according to experts, had cost them the chance to find Catrice. But amidst all this, the problem lies in the fact that someone with malicious intent endangered the child's life in the first place. Number two, Adam Walsh. It's hard to accept, but the truth is children often get lost mostly because parents or their adult guardians have become too complacent when it came to their safety. On July 27, 1981, Adam Walsh accompanied his mother to a visit at the Hollywood Mall in Hollywood, Florida. While well, at a Sears department store, the woman allowed the six-year-old to linger around with a group of older boys playing video games. The mother thought he would be okay, since she was just shopping nearby. After only about ten minutes, she returned to get him. But panic set in when she couldn't find her son, or even the boys whom he was with. The frantic parent searched the whole floor, and no time store employees had already joined in, and public announcement calls were also made to him every ten minutes. After almost an hour, though, of fruitless searching, local law enforcement were then called in. Investigators learned that a security guard had ordered the older children to disperse because they were already causing trouble to other shoppers. Adam, whom the mother considered a timid child, might have followed the others and lost his way out. Police believed it was then that he was picked up outside of the store. Adam's parents launched a massive hunt for their missing son. However, on August 10, 1981, what they feared the most happened. About 100 miles from the mall, two fishermen discovered the boy's severed head floating in a drainage canal in Vero Beach, Florida. The medical examiner confirmed that the victim had died several days before the discovery. The cause of death was asphyxiation, A few notable names surfaced as suspects of the grisly crime, including Otis Toole, a career criminal, and Jeffrey Dahmer, the infamous pedophile and killer. Toole, on his part, reportedly confessed to kidnapping and murdering the child to an inmate in 1983. He had since recanted, and then later on went back to his claims, in 1996, though, he died in a Florida prison while awaiting execution for a different crime. Twelve years later, authorities then officially announced that the case was solved and that they had every reason to believe that tool was the one responsible for it. Meanwhile, Adam's father, John Walsh, channeled his grief by doing advocacy work for victims of the same type of crime. He also co-founded the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in '84 and in 1988 became the host of America's Most Wanted, a Fox show that has since helped law enforcement hunt down and arrest hundreds of fugitives. 25 years later, the U.S. government enacted the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act, now known as Code Adam. Not only does it strengthen federal penalties on convicted child sex offenders, but it also bolstered the effort to fight such heinous acts committed against children. Number 1. Lucy Meadows While most of the cases we've featured today may have been perpetrated by criminals, the mysterious disappearance of Lucy Meadows could be different altogether because those involved may have been the people closest to her. On July 25, 1996, Young Meadows, a Korean immigrant, went to the Rivergate Mall in Goodlettsville, Tennessee with her three-year-old daughter, Lucy. After they parked, the mother claimed that she saw the toddler exiting the back seat through the driver's side door. The adult then reportedly went around the other side of the car to retrieve some things from the passenger seat, but then, just like that, Mrs. Meadows lost sight of her child. Somehow, and much to everyone's bewilderment, Lucy mysteriously vanished without a trace, given that small amount of time. Nevertheless, mall security conducted a search both inside and outside the establishment, and things began to take a strange turn when, during the investigation, the parent told authorities that she only lost sight of her daughter for a few seconds before she disappeared. However, in a media interview, she said it could have been 10 minutes at least. Because of this, she was made to undergo a polygraph test where she failed twice. The mother then stopped cooperating altogether with the investigation. Meanwhile witnesses came forth saying that they saw a mysterious looking minivan in the vicinity. However, not much has been known about what the police did with that particular lead. The lack of information forced investigators to shelve this case. However, in 2004, 8 years after the incident, a family member came forward with a very disturbing story. According to the unnamed witness, he was only 12 when he remembered visiting the child's home the night before she disappeared. It piqued his curiosity to see the little girl wrapped in a blanket and that she looked like she could have been deceased. Everyone else in the house was panicking and huddling around her. This perplexing circumstance prompted investigators to believe that Lucy could not have been at the mall on July 25th, and that she could have actually been dead the day before. The baffling disappearance of Lucy Meadows is still unsolved, and everyone's thinking about the possibility that her own mother might have somehow been involved. It's unlikely that these questions, though, are ever going to be answered, knowing that the child's parents will never speak about it ever again. That's going to do it for our podcast today. Please do take the time to rate and share this content with your friends. If you're craving even more intriguing true crime stories, then our Everytown podcast is for you. Over at Everytown. We serve some of the craziest tales that have happened all around the country. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, I'll see you next week.